As one of the expressions of the mission of this church, uh, we've just a small expression, but a significant one. We have sent out a mission team uh, to do Hurricane Harvey cleanup. So we have sent our Hurricane Harvey relief team to Portland, Texas. That's one of the communities along the Gulf Coast that was hit so hard by Hurricane Harvey back in August. Uh, That picture that you see there up on the screen, that's about half the team. The team is made up of Dwight Lee, Houston Greer, Julia Cooper, Arthur Everett, Gus Schroeder, Joni Bergstrom, Ken Rowland, Steve Ashford, and Cecil Brunson. And we'll have some more pictures as they are down there ministering, being Christ's hands this week, uh, being the extension of, of Central Church and our mission here, uh, ministering to the people there in Portland, Texas. Keep them in your thoughts. Keep them in your prayers. Pray for safety, but pray even more that God would use them for impacting people with the gospel. That, uh, that, 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 that reminder of Hurricane Harvey, that's, that's very appropriate as we think about the events of the last two weeks leading up to last Sunday night. I, I can't recall a year, maybe some of you can, where we've had more hurricanes hit the United States and its territories. What do we have? We had in August, Hurricane Harvey hit in Texas, 82 people perished, died in that hurricane. And then in September, Hurricane Irma hit Florida. My house got hit by Hurricane Irma, but even more importantly, 112 people died and perished as a result of Hurricane Irma. Later that month in September, Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico. 34 people have died, have perished in that hurricane. Last night, Hurricane Nathan hit the coast of Louisiana and Mississippi. It still remains to be seen what kind of damage, what kind of death will occur. And, and all those, of course, are natural disasters. And as we're, we're struggling to make sense of these natural disasters, you know, last Sunday night, a man brings an arsenal of weapons into a Las Vegas hotel room and fires into a nearby crowd, killing 58 people and wounding over 500 people. Maybe you've wrestled this week as I've wrestled this week. How do we make sense of all this? How do we make sense of this this destruction? How do we make sense of this death? How do we make sense of, of natural disasters like these hurricanes? How do we make sense of the the evil that has to be in somebody's heart to motivate them to do what Stephen Paddock did last Sunday night. Or maybe the way to articulate the question is is the way I have it in the sermon outline. How do we as followers of Jesus Christ, how do we think about evil and tragedy? It's all tragedy, but how do we think about the tragedy that is brought about by, by natural disasters like hurricanes on one, one end and by intentional acts of human evil on the other end? And I, as a follower of Jesus, I, I, I hear all the philosophical arguments spinning around me. I have to keep coming back to what Jesus said And while Jesus may have spoken to this in other places, the place that I continually come back to is what he said in Luke chapter 13 when he was presented with a similar question. And just to set the stage, if if you want to follow along, we'll be in the first couple verses of Luke chapter 13. Just to set the stage, 
Jesus, at this point in his ministry, he's speaking to crowds of people that are mixed. And what I mean by mixed is there are people who really want to hear what he has to say, who, who really want to know what it is, what the truth is that he teaches. But, but he's also speaking to crowds where there are people who have other motives, who want to trip him up, cynics, enemies, critics. And, and so we're not exactly sure who it is that's asking him this question, whether it's a genuine seeker of truth who really wants to know what Jesus' heart is and mind is on this matter, or whether it's someone who's seeking to trip him up. I, I kind of lean towards the latter on that, but I can't say for sure. He's, he's presented in verse 1 of chapter 13, we'll put it on the screen here, about, first of all, a, a tragedy that results of an intentional evil act. This is, this is on a par with what happened in Las Vegas Sunday night. It is, it is someone doing something intentionally, knowingly of great evil. Verse 1, Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Let me just break that down for us. The Galileans, uh, the Galileans are Jewish people. They, they live in the area of Galilee, which is north of, of Judea and Jerusalem. Many of the Galileans, not all, but many of the Galileans at that time were part of the zealot movement. So it's, it's a fair assumption these may have been zealots. If you don't know what a zealot is, Zealots were the Jews that, that hated Roman rule over them at that time so much that they were willing to go to whatever measures were necessary to throw off Roman rule. There was various shades of that, but some of them even advocated uh, military violence to throw off Roman rule. So it is likely that this group of Galileans were, were somehow part of, of the zealots that uh, were so prevalent at that time. The, the reference to that they were offering sacrifices indicates to us they had come from Galilee, they had come to Jerusalem to go to the temple to worship. And as part of worship, just as we offer our, our tithes and offerings, they were offering their sacrifices. So they were there in Jerusalem at the temple in the midst of an act of worship. Now the other actor in this, the evil actor in this is Pilate. And Pilate, Luke introduced us to back in the beginning of Luke. I think it's in chapter 3. He is the Roman governor. So he works for the Romans, the overlords over the Jews at this time. He's the governor over the province of Judea. He reigned there, historians tell us, from about 26 to 36 AD, about 10 years. And Jewish historians in particular tell us that Pilate was known for his cruelty and his ruthlessness. If he needed to suppress an uprising, he would do it in the cruelest way, the most evil way possible, to send a message. In fact, he was eventually removed by the Roman emperor at the, in 36 AD because in putting down an uprising in Samaria, he was so ruthlessly cruel that even the Romans said, that's too much, that's over the top, we're taking you out. But apparently, we don't have any other cooperation of what's described here, but the gathering of these Galileans in Jerusalem, it, it got to, uh, it reached Pilate, and, and Pilate perceived it to be such a threat to, I don't know, his ability to maintain peace and calm that he sent his troops after them, probably to arrest them. And where the troops, the Roman troops, found these Galileans is where they were in the temple worshiping. 
And Pilate gave the order. It's pretty clear from Jesus. Pilate gave the order. I don't care if they were in the middle of worship in the temple. Kill them anyway. And the troops slaughtered them. They took out their swords, maybe their spears, and they killed them brutally. They killed them in such a way that the blood from where they were cut or their heads cut off or where the spears went in, the blood fell and mixed in with the blood of the animals that they were sacrificing. It was not only cruel, it profaned the temple by mixing the blood of murder victims with the, the blood of sacrifices. That's the incident that's, that's, that, that is being addressed here, that, that is presented to Jesus. And Jesus, in verse 2, he speaks the question. I, you know, they didn't articulate the question, but, but I, I think Jesus knew this is the question they're thinking. So Jesus is the one who vocalizes it. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? Is that the implication he's asking that you're drawing from this event? Were they worse sinners? I mean, this is the common view of tragedy and suffering at that time. It's based on the general principle in the Bible that, that God blesses those who obey Him, the obedient, and that those who don't obey Him, the general principle is He, he, he does not bless. He removes His blessing and protection. He allows them to experience the consequences of their disobedience. And, and people then and, and people now, they use that general principle to try to explain why tragedy and suffering, it happens. And that's what he's getting at here. There is that, that attempt to use that general principle to say, well, the reason why these Galileans suffered this kind of evil death is because they must have sinned in some way. And before we're too quick to say, that's them, we're different, how many of us, when we look at a tragedy like what happened in Las Vegas or elsewhere, we have those thoughts even if we would never articulate them well, why were those people in Las Vegas anyway? Why were those people in that situation at that time? Why was she dressed that way? Why was, did he put himself in those circumstances? There must have been, we think even if we don't say, something about them that put them in the situation that makes them responsible in some way for what happened to them. And the reason I think that we do this, the reason this is such an easy tendency to slide into is because if I can somehow in my thinking distinguish myself from those people in Las Vegas or that, that person who's murdered in the inner city or wherever it may be, if I can somehow say they're different from me, then I can feel safe and secure. And, and if I can make it somehow related to their conduct, the, the state of their heart, and that my heart is somehow better than that, then, then I can feel that somehow I must be under God's blessing and protection because that hasn't happened to me. And if we're honest, that's where our thinking so easily goes. That's where their thinking went that Jesus addresses. That's where our thinking goes. Jesus says here, Jesus teaches here that that yes, there's that general principle in the Bible, but you are misapplying it. You are taking that principle and you are twisting it because the Bible teaches that there are many, many exceptions to that general principle. All through Scripture, we see men and women, godly men and women who love God, who follow God, who follow Jesus, have their lives ended cruelly 
suffer in, in amazing ways. We see that all through church history. On the contrary, we also see all through Scripture and we see in our life experience, we see ungodly people. People who want, have, want to have no part of God. People who raise their fist against God. Who seem to prosper. Who seem to live comfortably. Who seem to live long lives. Jesus says, you, can, you, are, you are misapplying this principle when you let your mind go and play that comparison game. Now, before we consider Jesus' response, he, his, where he really drives home in verse 3, let's take a look at the second tragedy that Jesus addresses here. If this first tragedy in verse 1 is one involving evil, an intentional act of a human being with the intent to, in, to inflict cruel harm, this, this second incident that Jesus addresses here, this tragedy is caused by what we could say is an accident or a natural disaster. In other words, there's no human willful intention involved in causing this. Verse 4, or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were more guilty than all of the others living in Jerusalem? What's this event? Well, Siloam, if, if, you know, if you've read through the Gospels, maybe you recall that Jesus healed a man born blind by putting mud on his eyes. That's in John chapter 9. Maybe you remember at the end of that healing, he tells the man, go wash the mud off your eyes in the pool of Siloam. That's where this occurred. The pool of Siloam is, uh, is located in Jerusalem where the southern and the eastern walls kind of come together. And right in that angle is where the pool is. And apparently at this time, just, just when Jesus is teaching or just before when Jesus is teaching, there was a tower right where those walls came together. It was probably part of the city's ancient system of defenses. And from what we can gather, there's no other mention of this. Well, from what we can gather... This tower suddenly collapsed. Maybe it was poorly built, or maybe it was getting old. Maybe it was that there was an earthquake of some measure, and the earthquake shook this tower enough. And at the time that this tower collapsed, there was 18 people who were either in the tower or standing near enough to the tower that when the tower collapsed, all that rubble came down on these 18 people and killed them. And again, Jesus voices the question, that he knows that they are thinking, do you think that they were more guilty? That they bore more guilt? In other words, do you, again, play that, that, that human game of, of weighing sins and weighing guilt and saying somehow they deserve to die, I don't deserve to die because they were more guilty, they did more bad things? How many people do we encounter? How many of us have bought into that whole thinking that the way I'm right with God is, is I look at the good things in my life and I look at the, the things that I shouldn't do and that I know, and I, I try to keep the balance on the good side. I try to do enough good things to cancel out the bad things. And we bolster that by, by looking at somebody else who seems to do more bad things than, than we do and say, yeah, I look pretty good by comparison. That's the thinking that, 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 that is embraced in, in, in what he sees here. Now, is there any relationship between human sin and tragedy? That's, that's not where Jesus goes here, but just for a moment, is there a relationship between 
evil in this world and natural disasters and suffering in this world and, and, and human sin? Well, yes, there is. We know from the creation accounts in Genesis that when God created everything, He created it, we're told, as good. In other words, there's no evil there. There's no pain. There's no suffering. There's no sickness. There's no disease. But we also know just two chapters into the Bible, in chapters 2 and 3 of Genesis, we know that the human race represented by the first man and the first woman rebel against God. They reject Him, just like we would have if we had been there. They reject Him as the designer, as the creator, as the sustainer. They reject Him as the loving ruler. They say what we say, even again, if we don't say it out loud. You know, God, I'm really content to run life my own way without You. If You want to get on board with how I run my life, if You want to help me in the ways that I think my life should be run, great. But if not, I don't have a place for you. That, as nice as we try and paint it, as much icing as we try and put on top of that, that's rebellion. That's rejecting the Creator, the Designer, the Sustainer, the loving Ruler of the world and of us. And the Bible tells us that as the human race rejects God as Creator, as Designer, as Sustainer, as loving Ruler, that introduces the curse The curse of human sin into the world. And the curse of human sin has marred that good creation. And so as a result, that has unleashed natural disasters and epidemics and diseases and accidents and violence into the world. Think of it this way. Let's say you are an apprentice of a world-renowned chef. And the thing that he creates in his kitchen that you like the best, he agrees to teach you to make it. And he, he instructs you gather all of these ingredients, and he instructs you through the process of how those are combined and, and how that's baked and the temperature to use and all the instruments to use. And then when it's your turn to, to take those, that knowledge and, and to go out and, and, and try and create this yourself, you, because you feel like it, you say, well, I don't want to use those ingredients. I, I want to add these other ingredients. I don't want to bake it at that temperature for that time. I want to bake it this way. What is the result of that when we decide, rather than doing it the way it's been designed to do, we want to do it our own way? What is the result of that? Well, you know, uh, in the best case, it doesn't taste very good. But in the worst case, it can be lethal depending on the ingredients we add in. You and I do that every day, every moment of our lives when we take what He has done with creating in terms of man and woman and sexuality and every other aspect of how He has designed this life and we say, no, I want to change things. I want to rearrange things to make them to my liking. What we have done is we we have marred that creation. We have unleashed consequences upon ourselves. And so the human race is responsible for the introduction of all this into the world that results in things even like hurricanes, even things like the shooting in Las Vegas last Sunday night. Now back to where Jesus goes. Jesus does not get pulled down into a philosophical discussion of the problem of evil. What is his response to, the, the, to their questions about these two kinds of tragedies? Well, notice 
He, he says it twice in, in both verses, uh, verse 3 and verse 5. He says the same thing again for emphasis. And notice what he does not do. He doesn't let them, or us by the way, he doesn't let, let his readers, his hearers, including us, focus on trying to analyze the guilt or the sin of the victims of these tragedies. Instead, he tells his readers, his hearers, his listeners, us, look within yourselves. I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He makes this about you, about you and me, us. He makes this about us. He's speaking to include everyone who ever hears him, everyone who ever reads his words. He does not allow us to rationalize away these tragedies by somehow that, that, that thinking that says, well, these victims were somehow responsible. They are somehow different from us, and therefore I'm not deserving of, of an equal fate. He does not allow us to separate ourselves. He turns it back to our consciousness. He brings it all into focus for you and for me today when we consider, let me just ask you the question, what is it that the the Galileans and the people who died in the Tower of Siloam and the people who died in the hurricanes this year and the people who died last Sunday night in Las Vegas, even the people who died in the car accident real close to the church earlier this week, what is it that all of these people have in common? I I would suggest Jesus highlights three things. One is they all died. And and I know I may be stating the obvious there, but let's, 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 let's talk about that for what it is. Their life on earth came to a sudden end. Their physical life, their their physical body was separated from their soul. They leave behind all of their possessions at that moment. They leave behind all of their achievements. They leave behind all of their relationships forever. That's, That's acknowledge the reality of what happened to these victims. And then along with that, the second thing they all have in common, they all died unexpectedly. Do you think that if those Galileans had known that when they went to the temple that day, Roman troops would be coming to arrest them, that they would be uh, confronted and killed? No. If they had expected that, they would have never gone to the temple. They would have stayed in Galilee. Do you think that the people who died in the collapse of the Tower of Siloam knew that that tower was going to fall? No. If they'd expected that, they would have been far from it. Do you think that the people last Sunday night in Las Vegas if they had known that that shooter was going to open fire from that hotel room, they would have gone to that concert? Absolutely not. None of them expected to die. The third thing, they all face death as sinners. They all face death as sinners. He says in verse 2, he uses that phrase, we're sinners. He doesn't compare the two groups like some of you are sinners and some of you are not sinners. Or verse 4, well, we'll get to guilty in a minute. What, what is a sinner? So, so since he's including everybody, including you and me as his readers, as his hearers in this group of sinners, what is he talking about? A sinner is, is very simply somebody who disobeys God's loving rule in any aspect. A sinner is you and me when we live with that mindset that says, I want to live life my own way. 
Again, if God wants to come along and, and bless me as I live life my own way, I'm all for it. But if he doesn't, I'm still going to live life my own way. That's, that's a sinner. And, and he, he, he says they all face death as, as guilty. Again, it's the more guilty. That qualification indicates that everyone is guilty. What is guilty? Guilty is because we're sinners, deserving of condemnation. Being condemned as a guilty sinner means that death, that physical death, that death that can come unexpectedly, that is something to fear. He says that earlier in the previous chapter, in Luke chapter 12, he addresses the basis of that fear. Verse 4, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do more. Let me stop for a moment. What is he saying? Physical death even by murder, even by horrible tragedy, that's not what you should fear the most. Stephen Paddock doing something like that, ISIS opening fire and some kind of terrorist attack, that is not your greatest fear. What is the greatest fear? Verse 5, fear Him, that is God, who after the killing of the body has the power to throw you into hell. What is Jesus saying here? as tragic as the suffering that is caused by evil and natural disaster is, the far greater tragedy is that if we die as sinners, we will perish. That's the word he uses, perish. We will experience not just physical death, we will experience the death of our soul. We will experience spiritual death in hell. And I bring this home today, and, and I, know, I know this is hard to hear, especially in the wake of the, tra- the tragedy that happened last Sunday night, but there, there, it is so urgent, there is no better time to do it than when this is fresh in our mind. Let me just make it very personal. Every one of us, we will all die. Okay, again, I know I'm stating what may seem obvious, but, but let me just make the point. Whether you and I live to an old age and die of natural causes or not, what we, you and I, have in common with the Galileans and the people in Siloam and the people in Las Vegas and the people who've died in hurricanes is that our physical life will come to an end. And that leads to the second point, perhaps the more the scary point. We will all die unexpectedly. There may be a few exceptions where, where somebody in old age knows that life support's going to be turned off, but for the, the vast majority of us, we'll die at a time when we're not expecting it. Whether we're old, whether we're middle-aged, whether we're young, none of us know when accident or natural disaster or an act of evil or sickness or disease is suddenly going to end our life. We will all die unexpectedly. Romans or Ecclesiastes 9.12, no man knows when his hour will come. We, we, we can't expect when our death comes. Thirdly, we will all face death as sinners. All right? Before the gospel, which, which that's coming, before the good news of the gospel, this is the reality. Romans 3.23, we all have sinned. We're all those rebels who say, I want to live life my own way without you, Lord. And so we all fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says, the wages, what we earn when we make that decision to live that way is death, spiritual death. So Jesus calls out to us as He called out to those hearing Him, unless you repent, 
you will perish. In other words, knowing that you will die, knowing that you will die unexpectedly when you are not prepared for it. If you die without repenting, and we'll get to that, what that means in a minute. If you die without repenting, you will perish. I don't know who repented in that crowd of 58 in Las Vegas. That's not for me to know. God knows. And some may have, and some may have not. But anyone who had not, they perished. They perished when they least expected it. And that is true of those who died in the hurricanes, as it's true of the, those who, the Galileans who died and the people who died in the Tower of Siloam. What does repent mean? Well, we hear that word and, and we got to consider it in the context of how Jesus preached all through his ministry about repentance. We see it at the very beginning of the ministry that, that repentance was one side of a two-sided coin. He says in Mark 1.15, here's the gospel, repent and believe in the gospel. Let, let me talk about the believe part first. We, we believe that Jesus is more than a man, more than a good man. We believe that Jesus is the very Son of God. We believe that He is the one, the only one who ever lived perfectly righteous. He did what you and I can't do. We believe as well that when He went to the cross and He allowed His blood to be shed, God, in some transaction that I still can't get my mind around, said, I'm going to allow my son's righteousness, his goodness to be substituted for your rebellion, your sin, Dan. And I'm going to do that for anyone who believes, who puts all the religious confidence in that. Repentance and, and belief go hand in hand because as I believe in who Jesus is and what He did at the cross for me and I put my confidence in that, at the same time, I repent. I turn away from, from the ways that I'm walking independently of God. I turn to Jesus to live a life of obedience. Repent and believe. And if you've never really done this, you can repent and believe in the Gospel right now here this morning. Yeah, it's true, Hebrews 9.27, that we're all destined to die once. We will die. We will die unexpectedly. And after that, to face judgment. But look at the very next verse. Here's the Gospel. But Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. That I don't have to face judgment. You don't have to face judgment if we repent and believe in the Gospel. This is open to you today. When we close in prayer in a few minutes here, this is something you can do today. This is something knowing that what happened in Las Vegas always comes unexpectedly. This is something, why should you put this off if you have never done this? Now let me, as I close, let me address those of you like me who have done this, who have repented and believed, and we think maybe this sermon is for someone else. Let me come at this one different way. Uh, as you think about the people who died last Sunday night in Las Vegas, let me show you a picture. This picture is a painting that's painted by an artist by the name of Mauricio Policio. The name of the painting is Who Cares? And you'll see why the title in a moment. This painting uh, was, it, it depicts a vision, a dream that William Booth, General William Booth, the, found, the founder of the Salvation Army, he had, or he claimed to have had. And in this painting, he said, in this vision, he said, I, I saw a dark and stormy ocean and storm clouds are approaching. 
And in that ocean, he says, you can see there, there are many people. They're, they're cursing, they're shrieking, they're struggling to stay afloat, and every once in a while, one of them drops below the surface never to rise again. Booth said, here's what I understood. That, that sea, that stormy sea, that's the sea of human existence. That's life all around us. And those storm clouds in the distance, that's God's coming judgment. That's God's coming wrath. And guess who the people floating in the sea are? The people floating in the sea are those who, who are lost, who, who, uh, who are, are subject to perishing in, in a lost state, in an unsaved state. They're people who are caught in sin, like all of us were. All of us were in that ocean at one time. But he goes on in his vision to say, in the midst of that ocean, I saw a mighty rock raised up and around the base of that rock, a large platform. And I saw people on that platform, at least a few, and they were reaching into the sea, and they were rescuing those struggling people, those that they could reach, and bringing them up onto the platform. Well, you know what that is, don't you? Booth said, that rock is the rock of Calvary. That's the place that Jesus died, representing what He did with His blood to cover our sins. And everyone who's on that platform is someone like you or me if we've repented and believed. We've been rescued out of our sin and saved and we stand on the rock. And he said that those who are, who are bent trying to rescue more, there are those who, who hear the call, rescue the perishing, save all that you can save, bring them up on the rock. But here's why the, the painting is entitled, Who Cares? Do you notice the great mass of people on that platform? He says, I saw many people on that platform who didn't even seem to notice the people floating in the ocean anymore. He says, even though the reality is everybody on the platform, at one time they were in the sea, at one time they knew what it was to be lost and to be struggling in the sea, and someone had pulled them up on the platform and helped save them, so many are distracted. So many are distracted by eating and drinking and, and forms of entertainment and making money that they don't even seem to notice the people struggling in the sea around them, the people who are drowning right before their eyes. And Booth says, he says to anybody who will listen, my friends in Christ, speaking to us this morning, you are rescued from the waters. You are on the rock. Look for yourselves. The surging sea of life around you is crowded with perishing multitudes. All who are not on the rock are in the sea. Think about that with the people that you work with, that you know, people in your family, people who are your friends. If they are not on the rock, they are in the sea. Think of that with Las Vegas. Again, I don't know who, who was in, 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 you know, who is on the rock or not, but any who are not on the rock last Sunday night who were killed with bullets from that madman, they are in the sea. They have perished in the sea. And Booth says, Jesus Christ is calling you by His Spirit to say, jump into the sea. Help Him. Save these people. Rescue the perishing. So I would simply close with this. You and I know people. You and I know people like the people who went to the concert in Las Vegas last Sunday night. We know people who lived in those hurricane-ravaged areas. We know people right now in our lives who did not know death was coming when it came. Some of those people are people that we love. 
Those people, if they are not on the rock, they are in the sea. And if death comes to them quicker than they expect, quicker than we expect, they will perish in the sea. Jesus calls you and me to recognize that everyone we know and love will die, maybe sooner than we think. He calls us to be part of His rescuing effort to help them embrace the rock, to crawl out of the sea. He calls us to recognize that time is short. Will you be a rescuer? Will you turn your eyes from whatever distractions are keeping you from looking at the struggling people in the sea around you and have the heart that He calls us to? I want to pray. I want to close this in prayer. I think this is one of those mornings. Uh, I I don't say this as a a rule, but I'm going to kneel in prayer. Maybe this is a morning that you feel called to kneel in prayer too as you think about the people who died last weekend as you think about the people who are still alive that you know, that you don't know what would happen if they die. And I think going before God on our knees might be the right posture this morning. So if you're comfortable, join me as I pray. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you first of all. Those of us who, who know Jesus as Savior and Lord, we thank you that you pulled us out of the sea We thank you for the men and women that you used as part of that rescue effort, but we realize ultimately we stand on the rock because Jesus reached down. You and your graciousness sent Jesus to reach down and pull us out of the sea of our sin before we perished and to save us. Lord, maybe there are some here this morning who who they don't know what would happen if a Las Vegas incident happened to them even today. And so, Lord, I, I pray that if there are any here who are unsure, are they, are they on the rock or are they in the sea? That even this morning, that they would, they would repent and believe. They would believe in who you are, Jesus, as the Son of God. They would believe that what you did on the cross, you brought your perfect righteousness to cover their sin, their rebellion. They would believe and that they would put all their religious confidence in that. And they would repent. They would turn from trying to run life their own way without them. And then, Lord, there's the rest of us who have done that, but we need to live out our, our lives following you in continual belief and repentance. And so maybe this morning, believe for us means recognizing that if this is really true, that the people that we know and love who are all around us, Lord, we need to recognize They could be lost tonight. And repentance, Lord, means maybe that we have to turn from our distractions, repent even from our distractions, and offer ourselves to be used by you to to try to pull them out of the sea. Give us hearts as lifesavers, as rescuers, Lord God. For those who don't know you, Lord, I pray your spirit even this morning would draw them. Maybe they will come, Lord, and be sure as they pray with us at the conclusion of this service. Move us, Lord, to the rock. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.